Blog Talk Radio. Good noon time, listeners. Welcome to Carol Francis, Dr. Carol Francis, Make Life Happen. Today is a much gentler topic. And Make Life Happen is a site all about being able to embrace the quality of life you want to create for yourself, your family, your business, as opposed to feeling like you have to live underneath the pressures of outside influences that you have the apparent experience of having no control over. It's akin to the experiences of manifesting your destiny, of being able to manifest what you want, the book, The Secret, the attraction, the law of attraction, the law of intention, the power of the mind, the the religious science philosophy, the belief of prayer being effective, the belief of calling to or summonsing one's events that may be related to Kabbalahism, the ability to be able to sit with your experiences and create the next experience. It would be true to any sort of perspective, philosophy, faith, the embracing of life to make it happen. But today, we are going to approach the experience of making life happen from a very different point of view. And it's a point of view of recognizing that sitting within the confines of what is normal is in actuality a different process than trying to always be creating, changing, producing excellence and things of that sort. So while we will do programs on the power of being able to carpe diem and create your life and manifest your destiny, while we are going to interview individuals that train in the excellence of living life to the most, it's important to simultaneously to embrace what appears to be the opposite form of living, and that is in embracing the normal or the typical life. Recently, I was reading a a chapter out of a book that had to do with the research pertaining to the brain's ability to perceive, perceive something, then make a judgment about something, and then determine an action associated to the judgment. Daniel Goleman's coined this process, the brain's melody, the tune that the brain makes associated with the observation of something occurring. The beauty of this idea is that there appears to be a passage, a moment, that precedes all perception. It's as if you are not present in the present moment and you are merely vacuous, empty, non-existent, as if you have no conceptualization or process going on in your brain whatsoever. The contrast is, or the distinction is, between conceptualizing brain that conceives, perceives, acts, determines, and the brain that doesn't have any preconceptions. It's non-conceptual. You know that we are actually born both with wiring as to how to perceive, perceive certain elements. For instance, an infant can perceive depth and therefore knows not to go across a glass surface that doesn't seem to have anything underneath it because the perception of death is that that would be endangering to the species. So we have 
things that are hardwired into our DNA. We probably have more things in our DNA now that tell us what to do or not do than the original Homo sapiens. However, we also have the proprioceptive process where we work on the basis of sensorium, again, the very primitive brain stain, but we do not work on the basis of having a preconception. We collect the preconception. So in the very human development of ourselves, we go from a period of time of having kind of a vacuous, nebulous, undefined, amorphous process that goes on that's juxtaposed with a hard wiring that allows us to learn, to develop, to organize, to perceive, to symbologize, to function. The Dalai Lama took this research that was being presented um, and said that it was very, very parallel to the belief that in meditative process, it is the emptiness, it is the void, it is the non-conceptual. It's the space that exists between stimuli and the presence of the human activity. And it is in that space that you have a lot of processes going on that are all about non-conception. Being able to be in that empty space is, in my way of thinking, akin to being able to celebrate normalcy. Well, while preparing for the presentation, you can, of course, appreciate that I don't really know how to define what normal is. And I think we all kind of grope with, well, what is normal? Is normal that I'm supposed to be functioning in hyperspace, at hyperspeed? Is normal that I'm supposed to function in carpe diem, making the most of each moment? Is it normal that I'm supposed to be excellence training at each and every facet? Am I supposed to be earning millions of dollars? Am I supposed to be networking all the time? Am I supposed to be marketing? And how about the exercise? You know, let's not forget that we're supposed to keep our bodies trim and shape and, and be right on top of all of these sorts of things. I'm supposed to be the best mother, the best father, the best student. Yeah, of course. All of that is true on some level, and simultaneously while it is true, it's also deceptive because in order to be all of those sorts of things, you also have to have a foundation of being at home with your own normalness, whatever that is to you. It is in the process of that normalness where you are at peace. I'm going to say that normalness is where you are ordinary. You are your ordinary. You are your typical. You are your blah. You're boring. Let's do a little bit of fun with the research here. Type A parents or super moms are amazing, right? They were called the soccer moms, the super moms. It was the transition of a society from the 1950s through to the 70s of the ERA to to the present where it's a norm to be a mother and a full-time professional, and I mean professional, so that the norm now becomes this type A parent. And the child is given every opportunity at a, a certain economic level, a moderate level to above, every opportunity that possibly can be afforded in terms of time, effort, and finances. And the parent believes in being on top of that, on top of the homework, on top of the sports activities, on top of the extracurricular activities, on top of the interaction, on top of the quality time, on top of the quantity time. And the more I talk about it, the more pressed and stressed that type A parent 
is. And in the process of a type A parent, what type of child is often created from that is a child who feels, in contrast, inadequate, not sure they can live up to the superior outpour of the parent, not able to necessarily keep pace with all the stressors. There are the other type of child, too. They're just as active and capable and capacitated as the parents are. And they love going from one thing to the next and the next and the next. And in fact, they have more of a difficult time being bored, being settled, being at peace. If there's some space or time, that that non-conceptual space or time that's empty, there's a bit of a panic that actually takes place, a type of anxiety about the void. A long time ago, in 1990s, Longer than that, 1983, I wrote a book called The Schizoid Anxiety. And the schizoid anxiety is associated to the experience of feeling like one is going to self-destruct in the sense of abyss, in the sense of emptiness, in the sense of nothingness, in the sense of being meaningless and purposeless, having no real connection to self or other. And it is that emptiness, that void, where tremendous anxiety associated to a type of anxiety about dying, but the experience is that you are physically alive, but there's a space of death, and it's a space of abject terror. And it's in that space that I think that the child that's used to going from one thing to the next and the next and the next and having no space whatsoever, just chill, actually creates that anxiety associated to something's wrong. Something's wrong. Interesting research that came out about two years ago was that they found that what's called the type B parent, the parent that isn't having their child in every activity, hangs around, doesn't have the perfect house, doesn't have the perfect income, doesn't have the perfect child, doesn't have the perfect grades. Actually, they found that type B parents were considered to be happier, more compatible with their children, easygoing, and less stressed. There was a sense of okayness with the experience of being a normal human being as opposed to a superhuman being. And in the research about the type B parent, suddenly the type A parent is saying, well, I've got to embrace that. I've got to be that. (laughs) As if it is some sort of state of perfection to attract to and to attend to. That is the ideal as opposed to embracing that there's no perfection. There's no sense of ideal. And in fact, maybe in the lack of perfection is the process of creativity. A new book came out not too long ago, written by, I'm trying to look for the exact, Matthew May called The Pursuit of Excellence. Now, I've done excellence training. I've read the books on excellence training. I love the impact it has on sports and being in the zone and being able to maximize what it is you have to give out and being able to tap into that all that personal power. But what I found so intriguing about Matthew May's book, The Pursuit of Excellence, is that he's actually suggesting that in the current environment of economic difficulty, we have more space now to celebrate that simplicity, the less being more, we may actually find the power to be creative. It is in that space again that we talked about, the the non-conceptual empty space. If it's void of the anxiety, the schizoidal anxiety I mentioned a moment ago, that that's where the ahas can actually break through. It's well known that the scientists of the past 
way back before television and technology, would work and work and work in discovering something, understanding and theorizing about something, and come up with blank walls, end of roads, so often go out to their constitutional, they would often do alone or with their colleagues, go to sleep, rest overnight, and wake up with the aha, the discovery, as if somehow their dreams or their empty space of sleep had allowed for the fruition of an answer, a solution, clarity of thinking. Let's go to that empty space, the period of sleep. Normalcy has a lot to do with having space. I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm not talking about letting your kids be irresponsible. I'm talking about space. And sleep is a commodity these days as opposed to an actual state of existence that supports our well-being. If you look physiologically for a moment, the importance of sleep, it keeps us able to dream. Dreaming helps us organize our thoughts and emotional states of being. And without those dreams occurring about every 90 minutes, for a period of time of deprivation, last research I read was seven days of deprivation, people begin to hallucinate or have delusions. And if you have even more deprivation of the REM sleep, as it's called, you are going, rapid eye movement, REM, R-E-M, you are going to be more inclined to cognitive disturbances in your ability to relate to reasonableness. Interesting also, as parents raise their children, they will come to me as a child psychologist wondering what's going on with their child. It's an interesting truth that the physical well-being of the child will have a complete interactive impact on the entire family. So that if the child is not sleeping peacefully, adequately, getting to bed on time, waking up in a gentle sort of way, having that sleep read the fruition of their character, that a child is more likely to be irritable, grumpy, unable to remember, unable to focus. And what are the things that drive parents craziest? It's usually to have an uncooperative, irritable, annoying child that won't get their work done or doesn't function well in a school environment or with homework. And to what degree does that space of sleep absolutely become essential, normal functioning that would benefit all of us, parent and child alike? Now, teenagers are an interesting animal because they actually go through a period of time, many, not all, where their hormones are so intense that actually the quantity of sleep that they need appears to be less. But now that we've added all these energy drinks into our life, which have nothing to do with being normal, but everything to do with being hyperspeed, we are now having so many sleep disturbances and the consequences on their ability to function in school. Interestingly enough, most of those caffeinated drinks are engulfed at noontime until about 6 to 8 o'clock at nighttime, meaning that a lot of those children cannot, teenagers cannot fall asleep at all. Going to school, they actually fall asleep at school, either mentally or actually. I find it amusing that the dolphins have a way of being able to put half of their brain to sleep while the other half of their brain is awake. And then they can switch off. So at any given time, they are both awake and they are asleep. Well, it would be ideal to be able to be in the yin and the yang of that. But for our children, to be half asleep and half awake is completely dysfunctional because we require both hemispheres to be interactive at all times in order to be able to function normally and supernormally. 
So this sleep component, this ability to rest, this space, that simple process of sleep becomes an extremely important part of our life. Another aspect of life that's kind of normal is being able to carry on normal routines. Yeah, the normal routines of life, organizing, paying bills, exercising, eating a meal together, having regular meals can be kind of boring, no doubt. Being able to sit still, talk to people, have a good time with friends are actually all akin to some of the most fundamental desires of human nature. And those particular endeavors and interactions have less to do with being super normal and a lot more to doing typical, normal, everyday interactions. Is it a blessing that we're having an economic crisis? Well, I think I'm going to be scoffed at if I proclaim it to be so. And yet it does cause us to move to the simplicity of life that allows us to be creative about reaching into the most fundamentally important aspects of life. It may be that we can now move from an extreme materialistic striving that has led us to be hyper attentive to our income status that will move us more to the natural spectrum of life, trying to find the natural symmetry of life, which is a phrase that I've borrowed once again from Matthew Mays in The Pursuit of Excellence. An interesting idea along these lines, the technological gurus of our planet, the smartphone. I'm now doing a radio cast from my iPhone. Thank you, Steve Jobs. But it interests me that Steve Jobs was once found to say that he was really proud of how his company had made determinations as to what not to do. Here's a company that's likely capable of doing so much, creating so much. In fact, has created the most complex system in a little handheld that currently exists, and I apologize for that statement the capacity to download any number of interactive data sources that have been created free and at expense, but very inexpensively expense, all because this phone has these basic capacities. Allowed so much creativity to come into the phone that had basically nothing to do with the phone originally. And for he to say that his company had decided with all its technological capacity, sophistication, and research, its technological ability to create is also juxtaposed with that experience of choosing what not to create, choosing what not to put into something so grand. The parallel to your life while you're listening to this is, What's in my life that, yes, it may be great, it may be awesome, it may be so fantastic to have in your life, but is it essentially, is it essentially, essentially, I'm having a hard time, essentially natural to you in a way that produces the calm embracing of your own normalcy? your own naturalness, your own comfort zone, your own calm. We are in a country where we compete with each other 
and it does make us better in so many ways. But we're also in a country where we compete with each other to attain and acquire what is not essential, requiring our time, which is so finite compared to everything else, to attend to those inessential aspects of life. And to take those out of the picture and return to embracing the naturalness, mm, that sounds sweet. For a moment, I'd like to just sociologically or culturally trace a progression of development that I think we're well to appreciate. Let's go back to the 1940s. We are recovering from depression, lack. We are experiencing nothing like the lack that existed back then, and we're moving through horrendous struggles with World War II, destructions of peoples, our own power to destroy, our own creation of destructive instruments, and we live with this consciousness of what it's like to be destroyed and to survive and to recover. We move into the 50s, and in most of the American culture, you move into an era of trying to maintain, to create and maintain equilibrium, peace, calm, normalcy, a normalcy that really wasn't part of normalcies for you know three decades in a row. It's really a new state. It had nothing to do with previous existence. But nonetheless, it was embraced retrospectively and during that time as family, two kids, car, garage, one television set, black and white. <laughs> so there was a definition of what that would appear to be like. But in the process of that, we did not create a movement toward a normal way of living for all Americans. And it was in the 60s where the freedom for minority, the freedom for women, the freedom and equality for women and African American, the freedom for racial equality. In a sense, you could say that looking at the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all people are created equal, that there is a right to pursue happiness. I would suggest that in the 50s we move toward a position of happiness but not equality in that happiness. In the 60s, there was the rejection of materialism and there was the boost toward freedom. And there was a great deal of sacrifices to move toward that freedom. The Vietnam War, although I did not agree with it at the time and still do not, was nonetheless a symbolic way to try to embrace freeing people from the communist influence. So that was at least the principles or the theories behind why we decided to embrace that battle of the people. Symbolically, we were embracing that same battle on our own home front with the civil rights and with the women's movement. The 70s, the 80s is a movement toward the new generation, making your life happen, you being the center, happiness and pleasure, the narcissism of the self being celebrated above and beyond. We move into a, a, a state, late 90s, early, early ones, <laughs> how do I say that, early 2000s, where it is very much about materialism, acquisition and power, and having and at all costs, even at the cost of ethics. You know, it's not about ethics anymore. It's, not all, it's about getting ahead, striving, the unjustifies the need, empowerment, excelling, being top, being number one getting it as easily and as quickly as possible, regardless of who you have to step on, and regardless of who you have to lie to, regardless of who you have to steal from. 
And it is in that progression that I feel that now that we've moved to the consequences of that attitude of acquisition, power, me generation, that we're being propelled back to consider the experience of what it means to live free, less expensively, less stressed, more normal, more natural, what it means to talk to the neighbor next to you, what it means to help out a person carrying too many groceries, the eloquence, the sophistication of being able to live simply. My family is in science background. I love the concept of engineers, the engineer concept of KISS. I've even sculptured a stop smoking uh, process called KISS, which basically meant keep it super successful. So stop smoking in a super successful way, which is a conglomeration of different approaches simultaneously or in succession implemented so as to make the attempt to stop smoking as successful as possible from the get-go clear through to the end of breaking that habit. But actually, I stole the KISS term from an engineer concept, which was keep it super simple, and that's the clean version. <laughs> so keep it super simple. If you can design something that functions well in a simple fashion, a least expensive manufactured fashion, that is seen as a superior design to those that are very, very complex, very highfalutin, very expensive. Perhaps that's what Steve Jobs was trying to say when he said that he was very proud of what they decided not to do, although they produced a very sophisticated series of wonderful technological equipment. But the simplicity, the idea of maintaining complex amazing technological sophistication with this template of natural, user-friendly simplicity has been something that has propelled individuals into a state of enjoying the usability of many of the Mac products. Let's apply this to your life as a human being. Have you created space and time for you and your loved ones so that it is simple to be with you. It is simple to be in your presence. It's simple to live your life. You have simple space <coughs> so that when you face the complex, there's an underlining gird of keep it super simple. And in my way of thinking, may be a way of keeping it super successful. That's a totally new other twist, isn't it? So while we do other programming on intentionality and manifesting something and determining to live with a carpe diem as the core of your life, embracing the moment and making the most of it, as we embrace excellence living, we now are catapulted into the recognition that maybe in doing all of that, the underlying basis is embracing being normal. Are you okay having a normal weight that supports your normal development that supports your normal bone structure, that supports your normal muscles? Or do you have to be size zero? One, two, three. Are you okay having the normal beauty, the normal impression? I went to two parties this weekend for Memorial. Wonderful families, wonderful, wonderful families, successful individuals, professionals. At one party, 
had their hair done, their nails done, their clothes were fresh and new. They were obviously from the nicely fashioned stores. Everything was immaculate. The children were immaculately put together. The party was a, a wonderfully well put together party as well. The people were laughing and happy and having a good time. At the other party, everybody was dressed in their old jeans and T-shirts. They were enjoying having conversation. They, they were eating food that wasn't catered. They had brought it themselves to the barbecue. There was laughter. There was family. There was conversation there. The commonality of both of those was how the people felt comfortable interacting with each other in a way that made everybody feel at home, accepted, fun, and enjoyable. And all the other pressure that was put on the fancier party, I wonder to what degree that actually created an atmosphere of judgment, an atmosphere of not acceptance, an atmosphere of having to strive into a state of perfectionism that had less to do with what basically was the joy of the party. And the other party where no one was really even caring about that had the basic keep it simple model and enjoyed it but laughed, laughed, and laughed and laughed. So I challenge you with this to keep it super simple. Live normally. Embrace the normal. This is Dr. Carol Francis, hoping you have a fabulous day, signing off from the Los Angeles South Bay Area. Feel free to call me at 310-543-1824. would love to hear from you. Cheers for the day.